Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, if I may be so bold as not to disagree with Socrates, but to commandeer his quote and change it just a little and use it for my own purpose and say to you, the unstirred life is not worth living. The unstirred life is not worth living. Kathy and I are reading a biography written in 1884 of that Puritan Scottish pastor that I love so well, Samuel Rutherford. And what we read last night truly amazed me in light of the sermon that I had already written for today. I wouldn't want you to think that I wrote the sermon this morning based on what I read last night. You don't believe that, do you? But the biographer, Andrew Thompson, tells that early in his ministry, though lots of people were coming to hear him preach, Rutherford was discouraged because there were no conversions. No one was coming to faith in Christ. The biographer writes, one fact may help to account for this, is that in general, when extensive religious good is about to descend, the blessing first shows itself in the quickened, the the enlivened religious life of those who are already the happy subjects of divine grace, and that it is only after the living have been revived that the dead are raised." This is the common order of the divine procedure. Only after the living have been revived will the dead be raised. That sounds like the Lord's stirring to me. The stirred, the life stirred by the living God is a life worth living. Sometimes, if I were to be honest, stirring scares me just a little bit, because being stirred is risky business, you know, precisely because you don't know. You can't predict what the stirring might do. But I do know this, the stirring is good for all of us. It's life-giving. The stirring will be to the glory of God. And what a wonderful privilege it is to think that God would use my life and your life to glorify Him so that His glory covers the earth as waters cover the sea. It'll be for our good. It'll be for the advancement of His kingdom, this stirring. So the question is then, how shall we be stirred? My answer for this morning is that you and I will be stirred when we see a fresh vision of Jesus as King. And if that be true, and it is true, then you and I must pray, Lord, stir me with a fresh vision of Jesus as King. That's what we'll talk about this morning as we come to our passage, which is found in the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. So if you would take your Bibles or the one provided for you there in the pew rack, And turn to Matthew 21, and when you found your place, let's stand together so we might hear read the word of the living God. 
Matthew chapter 21, this is the word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need... Your spirit now that you so generously uh, lavish upon us. Be our teacher this morning. As we come to your word humbly, Lord, we pray that you would stir our souls. Give us each, we pray, a new vision, a fresh vision of King Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you so much, and be seated. Well, this is indeed a glorious passage because it records for us a glorious event, and this event is suffused with truths that recommend themselves to us that we might consider and ponder this morning. For instance, we could ponder... The comfort and security of prophecy that is fulfilled. This prophecy of this day was given 500 years before this first Palm Sunday. But on this day, it was fulfilled by people who did not even know that they were fulfilling prophecy. These events were not premeditated. Neither were they controlled or coerced were contorted in order to fulfill an ancient prophecy for me. Hardly anything recommends Scripture to me and the truth of it than prophecy that's been fulfilled. Palm Sunday is another surety for you and for me, another comfort for our souls that every word that God has spoken will come to pass. King Jesus will once again make another triumphal entry. God has promised. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Another truth that might recommend itself to us is the truth that the Lord Jesus has perfect knowledge of all things. He knows the who, the what, the when, the where of this donkey and the heart of its owner and the the answers to be given to those who might ask or question the act. The perfect 
knowledge of Christ. That would be a worthy truth for us to ponder this morning. The Lord knows all. That might be a little disconcerting for us, considering the ways that we very often live our lives. But His perfect knowledge and His unassailable sovereignty by it. He arranges things the way He wants to be and all for the praise of His glory. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. We might talk about and ponder what's referred to as the messianic secret. Up until this day, Jesus said to the people he healed, and often after the miracles he performed, shh, don't tell anyone. Don't say anything about who I am or what I've done. So we could ponder then on this day the power that's released when the secret gets out that Jesus is king. We could ponder as well why it's true that we so often keep the secret in our lives instead of boldly proclaiming the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That would be worthy of our time, but that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. We could also talk about how this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was really not triumphal at all, at least not from the perspective of those who were doing the praising. They are praising the kind of king they want Jesus to be, the kind of king that Jesus refuses to be. So in a matter of days, their praise goes silent. And we would not be wrong to suppose that at least some of the people who are in this Palm Sunday praise are those who a few days later shout, not Hosanna, but crucify him. It would be worthy of our time to consider how you and I attempt to create God in our own image. We do, you know. Try to force Jesus into our mold Require him to be, not who he is, but who we want him to be. But we're not going to talk about that either. We could talk about how the true triumph of this day is that Jesus did it. He made it to Jerusalem. He did not dither outside the doors of the city in a dilemma of doubt, he entered boldly. Scripture tells us that Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem and he never looked back. He triumphed in his resolve to go there and to die there. He held kingly authority over his own life. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. It would be good for us this morning, good for our souls, to ponder the resolve of Jesus that drove him to make this entry into Jerusalem. It's a testament of the great love that Jesus has for his Father to accomplish his will. It's a testament of the great love that he has for us. 
to bring us to the Father. If you are here among us this morning, and you are not yet among the living, please hear this. Hear the love that Christ has. He died so that you might live with Him, with the Father, forever. Today, today is your day. Today is the day to receive this love of God through faith in Christ. And I pray you'll do that. That's all we'll say about that. You already know what we are going to talk about this morning. At long last. It's about being stirred. This morning we're asking the Lord to stir us. Look again, if you will, in verse 10. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And so we see immediately the reason for the stirring on this first Palm Sunday. It wasn't over what was happening. It was over who was happening. The question was not, what's the commotion? The question was, who is the commotion? The stirring occurs because of who Jesus is. He is king, and he is being proclaimed to be king. No Stirring happens apart from Jesus being king. No stirring happens apart from Jesus being king. Apart from Jesus being king in our lives. And when he is king, he necessarily stirs. You know, Matthew chooses a word here. It's a very striking, vivid word. Sio. That's the Greek word for stir to describe what happens in in the people that are part of this Palm Sunday celebration. And sio means to cause to be in a state of commotion, to shake, to agitate, to stir up, to set in motion. Now listen, Matthew uses this same word two more times after this event. A few chapters later, he describes what happened. When Jesus was crucified. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook. That's the same word. And the rocks were split. He uses it again in chapter 28 at the time of Jesus' resurrection. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, get this. That word is seismos, the noun counterpart to the, to the verb, and it means earthquake, and it's where we get our word seismic. So there was an earthquake, a shaking. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled, shook, same word, and became like dead men. One more. The Old Testament Hebrew counterpart to this Greek word is found in Exodus 19 when God comes down to give the law to Moses. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up 
like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled. Same word. Trembled greatly. Each of these events are of inestimable significance. The holy, holy, holy God descending on Mount Sinai to give the law. A stirring takes place in the physical world, in the hearts of people. The crucifixion, a stirring takes place in the physical world, and in the hearts of people. The resurrection, a stirring takes place in the physical world and in the hearts of people. I describe that word at length to show you how the word stir precludes any sort of spiritual stagnation. Any sort of spiritual complacency. Any sort of spiritual inertia. When we are looking to Jesus as King, our hearts will be stirred. And we must respond to that stirring. And that's a good thing. Because an unstirred life, not worth living. A heart not set aflame by seeing Jesus as King is a heart that really, truly is not beating. I think of what Isaiah saw, the prophet Isaiah. The Lord, high and lifted up, seated on his throne. He saw the angels flying back and forth. He heard them calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah felt the foundations shake. And Isaiah was shaken. He was stirred. He was undone. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the King, the Lord of hosts. Seeing the king stirs you, shakes you, undoes you. Hebrews 12. Printed in your bulletin this morning under the prayer of confession. Refers back to Exodus and the giving of the law that I read earlier. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now his promise yet Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Shaking. Stirring. That's what happens when we see the king. How we need, how we need to recapture a vision of the holiness of our God and of Christ in his glorious, majestic 
kingliness. Listen. And make no mistake, Jesus knew that that holiness well. And so the writer of Hebrews says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers with supplications, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Even Jesus had reverent awe in the presence of his Father. That's a reality worth pondering a long time. God the Son in reverent awe before God the Father. What then should be stirred in you and me when we see Jesus the King? What should be stirred in us each morning that the Lord grants life to us as we rise and lie our cloaks before Him, as we put down our palm branches before Him and all of Him as King and submit our lives to Him every single day? What should be stirred within us when we enter into His presence to worship the King. R.C. Sproul writes, The modern movement of worship is designed to break down barriers between man and God, to remove the veil, as it were, from the fearsome holiness of God, which might cause us to tremble. It's designed to make us feel comfortable. No, the barrier must Remain. God is God. We are not God. Never, ever will we be God. God will always be totally other than we are, and we will spend all eternity both enjoying and exploring the otherness of God. So we need to be stirred in His presence. We don't need to be comfortable in it. Oswald Chambers writes, When we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense, blazing holiness of God with His love at the center of that holiness. Anything that belittles or obliterates the holiness of God by a false view of the love of God is untrue to the revelation of God given by Christ Jesus. On this first Palm Sunday, Jesus comes as a gentle king. And that's why he's seated on a donkey and not mounted on a military steed like a conquering King, Jesus is gentle and lowly. That's how he describes his own heart in Scripture. Never forget that. Innumerable are the blessings of his grace that God lavishes on us in Christ. We're privileged to call him Savior and Shepherd brother and friend of sinners. Never forget that. 
But neither should we ever forget what his next triumphal entry will be like. Revelation 19 tells us, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is gentle and lowly. So you and I have great hope. But Jesus is also king. And we must never presume on his holiness. So I close with this. The Palm Sunday stir was caused by the presence of Christ. He was the center of the Palm Sunday celebration. Our good news is that Jesus is present with us always. Is that good news to you? So really, this is a call to prayer, isn't it? If we would experience this stirring, because it's in prayer that you and I are present with Christ. In prayer, we can see him in his kingly holiness. And that will always stir us. It's a call to be devoted to the word of God. If we'll truly be stirred. Because it's in the pages of scripture that we see his kingly holiness. God will stir you through prayer. God will stir you through his word. And as we know from our 11 week study. In John 15, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We must abide in Him. We cannot expect such a stirring if we, in our own strength, abide. As Martin Luther so famously wrote, our striving would be losing. No stirring. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle, and he must do the stirring, and he will do the stirring. He will revive the living 
stir them up, and then he'll raise the dead. Is that good news? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, so full of truth to your people, to us, whom you love so much through Jesus. Stir us now, we pray, through the power of your word. Cause us to so long to live a stirred life. Cause us to see that the stirred life is the life worth living, that we devote ourselves to prayer and to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.